Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Science Snacks. It's me, your science liaison with a face designed for podcasting, Eric. This is a weird episode because we're talking about circumcision. Um, it's a weird topic and I've remade this podcast three times now because I've come across more information while reading. Um, so it's a weird topic and let's just kind of dive into it first and foremost there's a cultural background behind this topic uh the uh churches that generally uh look at like the torah or the first handful of books in the bible uh tend to be those that that mandate it like uh, judaism and even though it's not mandated in uh islam uh, it is part of that culture um even sects of christianity are very into uh, circumcision, uh, though those are slowly decreasing over time. Um, so in the United States, 60% of individuals are circumcised. That is, they have the uh, foreskin of the penis uh, cut off and usually occurs as an infant, uh, though you can opt to have it later on. Now, initially, when I was researching this, um, all I could come across were uh, all kinds of you know, claims about it being great. It's positive. It's wonderful. And generally when you do that, uh, when that happens, well, maybe your opinion is wrong. And so I started falling onto that. Okay, well, maybe I'm incorrect about this. Maybe the science supports the other way. And so I initially made this podcast as like a, oops, Eric's wrong. (laughs) Um, And so when I found more, I I showed it as kind of a balanced topic. Um, when I, when I redid it the second time that there's, there's poles in either direction. Um, here, the more I read, the more that I'm finding that there is a misrepresentation of the data. And it seems to be the case that when you start looking at things outside of of the studies themselves or start looking at how the studies are conducted, it becomes immensely problematic. So let's just kind of jump into it. There's a handful of claims being made. First and foremost is uh, disease transmission that is like STDs. So how do we're also known as STIs, sexually transmitted infections or diseases, depending on how you say it. Um, how the circumcision of an individual affects those diseases. And the answer is it's weird. Um, So a handful of studies make some pretty wild claims, uh, in some cases claiming up to 63% protection from HIV for individuals exposed uh, to if they're circumcised. And, but, but if you look at it at the population level, it stops making sense. And then it seems to be that there is a desire for wish fulfillment for this to be a cure for HIV or a cure for whatever that, that, okay, by, by taking this step, we are inhibiting a disease rather than finding an actual cure or preventative, uh, nature. So, so having someone take prophylactics that would prevent them from giving others the disease. Um, it's, a very challenging topic because you also have a uh, large number of American individuals who are circumcised and they want to claim that theirs is, is superior. Matter of fact, 60% are circumcised. 
you also have a long history of circumcision. In the United States, John Kellogg, the man who made cornflakes, was so terribly against circumcision that he made, or so terribly against uh, sexual activity that he made uh, circumcision a norm in the United States. Um, he actually even recommended female uh, circumcision, as he called it, which is where he would uh, suggest that you put acid on the clitoris and that would remove her desire for sexual pleasure. And there's been studies on women who have undergone uh, this procedure. Everything from like surgical removing of the external head of the clitoris all the way to like this acidification. And they generally tend to claim that, I mean, they, they still are sexually active. Uh, so it seemed to be the case that it came from a place of, you know, inhibiting sexual pleasure and sexual activity. And research suggests that it does not do that, that individuals are just as likely to uh, have sex and have pleasure either way. Um, and, and the loss of approximately 10,000 neurons doesn't seem to have any significant effect on that. Um, so that one's kind of a, a net neutral. There's no, there's no real gain or loss apparently. Now what there is a loss of is lubrication during sex as the foreskin acts as a natural lubricant. Um, and that that has its own place in uh, preventing you know uh, harm and friction from from occurring in the uh, in, during intimate moments. So <clears throat> that one tends to go more towards the uh, pro uncircumcised uh, crowd. So. That being said, now we get into some of the deeper waters here. So there's an argument to be made about uh, cleanliness. Now, in the developed world, uh, most of the developed nations, you have uh, ability to wash at least once a week. And that is about all that it takes to maintain uh, against infection and other types of disease. Now, individuals with compromised immune systems might be more vulnerable to opportunistic infection. Uh, that is, something would come and they would be like, oh man, you're uncircumcised and also immunocompromised. I'm going to get you. And that is the, the nuance there, that there's this potential for that type of infection. However, most of those infections are easily cured by antibiotics um, and are very case by case. And you're you know, already somewhat in aware of it as an individual who is immunocompromised. So perhaps it shouldn't be the norm that we do a surgical procedure that mutilates the genitals of children for, you know, a handful of individuals who are immunocompromised per 100,000 individuals in the United States. Uh, so that is, uh, that is something. Also, there's claims about HIV. So in the developed world uh, and, and other STD transmissions, so in the developed world, the claim is that uh, you can prevent HIV transmission by up to 63%, or at least that's what they have in some of these Africa studies where they compared different populaces. However, further in-depth analysis didn't quite agree with that and actually showed that uh, female female transmission of HIV was actually the highest that females were uh, the most new cases in Africa for for getting HIV which didn't make sense with what the study was claiming 
But if we look at populist level, so in the United States, uh, is, we are a developed country. 60% of uh, males in the United States are circumcised, which is one of the highest areas in the world. We have, among the developed countries, some of the highest rates of HIV transmission. Now, if you go to Europe, where most individuals are not circumcised, they have some of the lowest rates, including like areas like uh, Great Britain, where they have the lowest rates of uh, HIV prevalence in the entire world. Uh, let's see. In Ethiopia, despite the universal practice of circumcision, the number of HIV cases increased from zero in 1984 to 7.4% in 1997. In Eastern Cape, where most men are circumcised, the prevalence rate is not meaningfully lower than in Kowatskanala, uh, KZN, <laughs> where most men are not circumcised. So if you look at comparative studies of societies where, let's say, you know, if 60% of the United States is, is uh, circumcised, that should mean, you know, 60% more success or whatever the gain is associated with that percentage-wise uh, in HIV prevention. If we're claiming that, you know, circumcising an individual to some degree stops HIV transmission, and that's simply not the case. That's not supported by the data. Uh, then, and I know I'm pulling from a variety of different sources here. Many of these are coming from Robert Darby, who is a medical historian, who is an expert in the history of circumcision. Um, this, you can go to historyofcircumcision.com for more information about it. Not sponsored, but... That's a, that's a portion of his sources. I found a large number of individuals disagreeing with him. Uh, he often talks about this as this wish fulfillment, that this, this desire for these cures for HIV or ways with which we can, you know, for some, without doing too much or without having to wait for a cure or find a cure or fund a cure, we can do things that, uh, that you know, inhibit the spread of disease. And that comes from a good place. We've seen with COVID, the desire for social distancing, wearing a mask, things like that, as we waited for a vaccine, which is now readily available, which is being added to even more with like the new strains and everything. So uh, this desire for uh, success without having to wait for a cure. And that comes, like I said, that comes from a good place. However, the data doesn't support it. Um, so when we're talking about the, you know, cleanliness argument, obviously, uh, here, especially in the developed world, it's unnecessary when talking about, uh, things like, uh, STD prevention, there is some claims that say that, you know, uh, you're more likely to notice discharge in circumcised individuals, uh, whereas in uncircumcised individuals, they may not notice it. They may just attribute it to normal penile lubrication, um, and, and that, that's probably a fair claim, um, but I don't know that that's justified because you still need to go to a doctor and you still need to get regularly checked up if you're you know having sexual intercourse, you need to regularly get STD checks with each new partner. Uh, so that, that's something and also wear protection. And also, you know, if you know that you have a partner, uh, who has a particular disease, maybe, uh, look into taking, you know, something for that. We have ways to prevent you from getting HIV if your partner has HIV. So these are things that we should be taking.
taking advantage of. Uh, so I'm not convinced that the process of doing circumcision is uh, is justified there. In one uh, piece that I read, they kind of brushed over this topic. They claimed that uh, that, that in individuals, that they had done studies on whether or not the child is uh, psychologically, traumatically affected uh, by circumcision. And I, <laughs> I read some of those studies and I wasn't super convinced. And I, it, first and foremost, there used to be this thing that they did to uh, black women where they would take uh, them and essentially you, you can have this surgery where, you know, you can give them the anesthetic and you can also do things like put them under. And if you put them under, they, you know, you're out the entire time. There, there was this whole procedure about them when they were able to remember the surgery versus not, because one drug numbs the pain and the other drug removes the memory. Um, and they did this experiment on black women where they would save cost by not giving them the anesthetic. So they would essentially torture these women, screaming as they underwent these surgeries with no anesthetic, no nothing to numb the pain. But it was fine, right? Because they didn't remember the pain. So that's, that's morally acceptable, right? Just because somebody won't remember something, you know, that we can do as much harm as we want to them, right? Well, I strongly disagree with that. That is super morally problematic. There's also something to be said about uh, aesthetics because that's often a claim that's made, you know, oh, you know, we, it looks better when it's circumcised. That is super subjective and a cultural thing, and there's claims in either direction about that. Uh, I, I have heard many a claim in either direction on that, and it is not something that we should be making medical decisions based off of, especially to a baby who cannot consent. So that, and that's also a weird thing to put onto a baby. Like his penis will look better when he's older. That's, that is a weird thing for you to think about a newborn child. So trying to wrap this up, uh, circumcision is something that is culturally based and, you know, present in several religions um, and mandated in Judaism. And although there is a large sect that is working on changing that, uh, it's also founded in this like sexual prudism uh, made by the Kellogg's man, <laughs> which is weird. It has mixed reviews on potentially uh, changing how disease is transmitted. There are some claims that it might affect like the microbiome, then preventing HIV because the body isn't sampling it. But there's also, you know, if you look at it broad picture in societies that have heavy circumcision versus those who do not, there's actually more HIV present in those that have uh, circumcision. Uh, so that's a strange claim that I've seen evidence on either side of. Uh, and then when talking about aesthetics, that's that's 100% silly. When talking about cleanliness, it is easy to clean in most of the developed world. Perhaps in underdeveloped wor world, that is 
potentially something that that might take consideration. Penile cancers occur at such an incredibly small rate that it's hard to make this decision just based off of them. Uh, And also kind of silly because, you know, oh, I can't have penile cancer on my foreskin because somebody cut your foreskin off. Uh, Well, if somebody cuts your arm off, you can't have arm cancer. So (laughs) it's a very strange claim to make in that regard. Uh, In natural lubrication, the penis that is uncircumcised wins. Uh, So it's a it is a topic with plus or minuses on either side, but the science, at least from what I have seen, tends to weigh more on the side of not circumcising and tends to overrepresent the benefits of circumcising, I think, as a form of wish fulfillment from those who want to justify circumcising or their own circumcision. But this is a strange topic. This is a big topic. And uh, like I said, I don't think the science is as clear on either side as I would like it to be for me to, you know, make such a powerful claim as I once started out, you know, claiming. So with that, that's enough for me. Hey, don't forget your safety glasses. 